You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. From Shakespeare to Schwartz. From Fawcett to Alvin Ailey. From Sondheim to Borellis. From McNally to Faye. It happened to the greats. It still happens every day. When lightning strikes, it's the moment you know. When lightning strikes, where you're meant to go. You can stand and shout Eureka, do whatever you like. You'll never forget the moment when lightning strikes. Hello and welcome to When Lightning Strikes, the podcast that's all about the moment when you discovered you had to be an artist. Eureka, your proverbial light bulb goes off, the heavens open, the seas part. It's that wondrous, heart-thumping, tingly, glorious mic drop moment when you knew you had to be an artist. And today, I am so thrilled to have Astrid Van Weeren on the podcast. She is the original company member of Come From Away. She's still in the show. Uh, when, of course, we're not on pause. Welcome, Astrid. How are Hello. you? I'm doing great, Gerald. Thanks for having me on the program today. Thanks so much for being here. So let, there's lots to talk about. Can you share your lightning bolt moment when you knew you had to be an artist? Now, I loved the introduction because there were all those wonderful, uh, you know, like a, a, a big clanging sound, a eureka, a light bulb moment. <laughs> but I don't know if you know the song, um, A Quiet Thing. Yes. For, for me, it was that thing that came in on tiptoe um, because I cannot pinpoint, I can pinpoint some electric moments when there was confirmation that being an artist was my path, what I really wanted and needed to do. But for me, it was always kind of, kind of there just sitting in my belly and my soul and my heart from the time I was four or five I just wanted to tell stories I wanted to be other characters I wanted to play um, I wanted to use my imagination and so there were there were moments along the way when I got to perform and I got that electrical feed from the audience or I got a sense of having solved a problem like really figured out a scene in rehearsal uh, or been you know different moments that I can talk about um but a lightning moment, I never really had that, okay, Eureka, I'm going to become an artist. I think it strangely was something that was right there in my belly from the get-go. Oh, I love I love that song, by the way. Is it from Flora the Red Menace? It is from Flora the Red Menace. Yeah. Menace. Yes, it's a fantastic, 
And, yeah. and if people do get a chance to go and listen to the original recording and hear Liza Minnelli mm-hmm. when she was so fresh voiced and just beginning oh. uh, on the beginning of her path, it's so uh, that was her Broadway debut and uh, Come From Away is my Broadway debut. So. I, love, I love that. And I hear you because sometimes it's not so obvious or I've talked to people who say, oh, I've always known you know, from the time I could I could walk. I I was dancing before I could walk or I was singing before I could talk. But can you take me back to one of those early, early moments when you were, were singing, even if it was in your living room or your bedroom or, or performing on stage? You talk about when you were five years old. Yeah, I, I, um, I used to watch a lot of Shakespeare uh, TVO, uh, TV Ontario. I'm from Canada, um, mm-hmm. from Ontario. And I used to listen to Shakespearean plays. And my mom told me that I used to go around the house sort of doing this sort of iambic pentameter, pretend iambic pentameter, you know, speaking in the rhythms of Shakespeare. And um, just I would, you know, go into my mom's closet and try on things. And I've just always loved the idea of telling stories. And I felt really comfortable. And I think a lot of artists will tell you that they feel most themselves when they're pretending to be somebody else. So I don't know exactly what that is or if that, if that just sounds too poetic and it doesn't really sound like it's grounded in reality, but there is something about being in a scene or telling a story or singing a song that you just feel so completely alive that you feel connected to, to yourself. And I used to sing in front of the, uh, the fish pond in the backyard and charge mm-hmm. a little money. I used to sing uh, Barbara Streisand songs or songs from Greece, um, you know, the musical Um, I got to play the happy prince in grade eight because I was really attracted more to storytelling than just um, singing and dancing. I love to sing. I love to dance. But for me, the idea of being an actor and disappearing into a kind of role was always what was most intriguing and still is most intriguing to me. The singing and dancing are a way of telling the story. It's being the storyteller itself that I'm always, always want to be in the the center of. So I, I played the happy prince in grade eight. Um, I sang in front of my school. It was a very religious school. Um, I was at a Christian school and, um, I had wanted to sing, um, you light up my life. Do you remember that song? Yeah. Exactly. Um, and I was told I couldn't sing it because even though I meant it about Jesus at the time, they said, Oh no, it's a romantic song. You can't sing it. So I ended up singing morning has broken instead for my grade eight class, which of course was interesting because Cat Stevens had, um, already converted to Islam at the time. So I, I didn't know the issue with one, not with the other. It was, it was intriguing to me, but I sang, I sang that though. I do remember singing once in front of the whole school and something going wrong and running out of the room and just feeling absolutely mortified that I had messed up in front of people. It was, um, I didn't like not getting it right. It took me a while to realize you can't really get it right. There's always just so many different ways of telling a story that you have to let go of that and you have to embrace failure. And that's the only way you kind of find the, the juicy bits. So what gave you the courage to go back again after you you felt that disappointment within to, to try again and to keep singing? I think I probably was being a little dramatic with myself at the time and just thought, <laughs> I'll never do this again. And, you know, the sort of the weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And uh, But I think I always just sort of knew that I would get back to it. And it didn't take long before I was, you know, trying to do things. And, and then when I went to high school, there wasn't much of a drama program. Um, I went to Ryerson, uh, sorry, not Ryerson, Medway High School 
in Arva, a very, very small uh, town just north of London, Ontario. But we had a great choir. So that's when my, my love of singing and harmony and, and being part of a group and being, you know, part of an ensemble, a chorus really kicked in and uh, had some great teachers there and really fell in love with music. Is it hard to describe how singing makes you feel? Is it hard to put into words? I think it is. I think some people have gotten gotten close. Um, I think every song, when it's a great song, does tell a story. So it's the storyteller that pulls me in. And then there's something about the vibration through your body. All I can think of maybe the equivalent of that is when a cat is purring. A cat purrs to self-soothe. A cat purrs when it's happy and it has vibrations all through its body. And I think when we sing... Um, the same thing happens. I think our breath gets deeper. We oxygenate our blood. We feel more alive. And then the singing itself, the melodies and the movement of the voice can touch on so many emotions. I mean, we can sing the blues. We can sing hallelujah. We can sing, um, you know, get into a rhythm of something that's, you know, sexy and sexual. We can get into angry songs like um, rock and roll, like Nirvana or Hole or um, like, um, uh, Courtney Love or, or you know, songs that just get our frustrations and yayas out. And um, especially during this time, I think it's great for people to, to just sing, whether they think they have a great voice or not, is really secondary. Mm-hmm. It's that purr that we're talking about, that vibration that just, it sets things right. It's really kind of connecting to people talk about the music of the spheres and the stars moving and I know I sound a bit flaky but I think mm-hmm. music also taps us into everything around us everything has a vibration and a music it really is visceral and I love that image of you as a child uh, reciting Shakespeare and I am the pentameter <laughs> Do you, does anything stand out from that moment of I can't, re- I can't remember a lick of it. I will say that my once I knew about Stratford, Ontario and the Shakespeare Festival there, I thought, well, yeah. that's where I'm going to go. That's where I'm going to go. And so much mo- of my ambition and, and uh, my training kind of went towards that. And when that dream kind of didn't happen, um, and it was a sobering thing, too, um, you know, I kind of thought, oh, I, that's, that's not my path. You know, I, I, I'm not going to get to do Shakespeare. And so I kind of let it go. I have done a bit of Shakespeare in public, not a lot, but both times I played men. So there you go. I was only meant to play the men in Shakespeare. Who did you, who did you play? What men? Uh, the, uh, the first uh, Shakespeare I did professionally was I played Antonio in Twelfth Night in the Dream in High Park in Toronto. And that was an outdoor festival. And uh, I was originally uh, sort of tapped to play this character as... Um, as a female pirate. And so it was uh, interesting to me. And then suddenly I was going to be this person who had been so disguised for so long as a man that she was just accepted as a man by everybody else around her, which was an interesting choice. But oh my goodness, it was hot. There were mosquitoes. I was wearing leather leggings and a black bandana and a vest and my and my breasts were strapped down and I had a double hilted uh, sword contraption around my waist. And it was a good thing I didn't faint, let alone you know, <laughs> pass, as, pass as a pirate. I don't know. It was, it was kind of fun. And the other time I played um, a couple soldiers and a the soothsayer in Julius Caesar. So, but I love I love going to see Shakespeare. And when people do it well, I really I realize now I really think that is such a brilliant brilliant skill. And and perhaps it's something I'll look into um, learning. I think if you're musical, it comes a little easier. But yes, but I kind of had let go of that dream, and so um, 
just embraced a lot of other things. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So in college, you studied theater, right? And you played. A lot of roles there. You want to talk about your college experience? Well, I, I went to um, University of Western Ontario first for four years. Sort of when I talk about growing up in a religious family, I wasn't sure um, about becoming an actor and how that would be seen by by my family. And and also mm-hmm. um, I was a bit religious at the time or a bit religious. I mean, it's, it's like saying a bit pregnant, but I was I was religious at the time <laughs> and um, and felt that it wasn't maybe the thing I should do. But while I was at university, I, I did uh, uh, The Donnellys, which was an incredible series about this Irish family, uh, a cr- incredible um, play about this Irish family uh, in Ontario. And uh, that sort of got my, my hunger coming back for, for doing it perhaps as a, as a living, as a, as a life choice. And then I did The King and I and um, played Annalee and Owens and sort of enjoyed that. And so I decided to go to theatre school after I got my honours BA in English and French literature, which was not a waste it was all about story and I have no regrets all those classics kind of live in my in my system and I can draw upon different images and metaphor and all these these things but then I went to Ryerson and studied there for three years and and uh yeah it was um it was a good experience overall I think everybody has mixed feelings about their time at theater school uh, especially from years and years ago there was a lot of sort of um there's a lot of a sort of psychobabble kind of things happening at the same time. And you're learning about yourself. You're a young person and there's hormones and, you know, ambitions and friendships. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a fun time, but a hard time to look back on too. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm really glad that I went because uh, I had some fantastic teachers and I had some incredible classmates. And I think really you don't even know how much you're learning till you have to put that stuff into practice once you get out of school. And that's when you really learn because that's when you're putting all the pieces together, the voice work, the movement, the clown, the, you know, text work. Once you finally get to, you don't even realize how much you're using the tools that you've, you've been sharpening for those three years and you really start to learn. That's when you really, you suddenly find yourself, you know, at a, at a quicker pace learning really fast. Because then, you have to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you've toured all over the United States, right? I mean, throughout the United States and Canada in a variety of roles. What was one of your first really memorable professional gigs that you had? That you well, 
I, I did a lot of um, small theater for for a long time, a lot of fringe festivals and uh, indie indie theater, and I and I'm so glad. And I worked a lot at Buddies in Bad Times here in Toronto, um, where I am staying right at the moment in my house. Um, but I think one of my favorite things was was touring with Mamma Mia. I mean, it was a real Cadillac of tours. It was the time before, you know, now it's a lot of bus and truck, which is still fantastic. But we weren't moving every week or a couple of days. We were staying in cities for three months at a time. So I got to know San Francisco and L.A. and Chicago, Minneapolis, Detroit, Boston, all these fantastic cities. And that was a great um franchise to be a part of because Mamma Mia was just such a feel-good show and I was doing it when 9-11 happened actually and I was in Canada I'd happened to be on my first vacation uh when all of that tragedy happened and I thought what what purpose does does Mamma Mia have I mean it's just what is it about I mean what does it really give and I had a real sort of like you know crisis about going back to do the show but then I realized very quickly people needed to laugh People needed to come together as a community and listen to ABBA music and watch this beautiful story of, of a girl who wants to know who her dad is and has this great relationship with her mom. And it's about family and community. And, and people really, really reacted positively to it. And I realized sometimes entertainment or what we think is just entertainment is essential. You know? And who did you play? I was in the ensemble. I was uh, one of the Greek grannies. And I was also... Um, an understudy for Rosie, which I got to do quite a bit on the road, which was super, super fun. She's the one who falls in love with the Australian. She's running around after him in the church. And it was just such a fun character to play. And it was such a great company. And Phila Deloy, the director, was really super. And we really got to to explore and have fun with it. It was great. And so let's talk about Come From Away, this extraordinary musical. Can you talk about when you first heard about Come From Away when it first came across your inbox because you have a connection right with the creative team. Right? I do. I, I'm, I'm very lucky. I know David Hine and Irene uh, Carl Sankoff very well. Um, they're good. Oh my gosh, they're such good people. We were just um, chatting the other day on a, on a Zoom call and um, they're really, really lovely people and great creators, um, great storytellers. I actually had worked with them on their first musical called My Mother's Lesbian Jewish Wiccan Wedding, which I um, was going to do uh, the fringe show of. And then I got summer stock. And so I went away and did the summer stock because, you know, we need to pay the bills. But I kept thinking, oh, that that story, that beautiful story of these two moms who, you know, uh, and and David's moms, it's all based on, on true events. And then when the Mervishes, who are big producers here in Toronto, picked it up and put it into um, what was then called the Panasonic. I'm not sure what it's called now. I think it might still be called the Panasonic. Sometimes theaters change their names all the time, especially in Toronto. Um, they keep getting different different names. But um, they added one ensemble member female and one ensemble member male. And so I remember contacting the director and saying, you know, I, I don't need to play one of the moms. Um, I, I just love the story. I love David and Irene. And if I can be a part of this, that would be great. I ended up getting to do that. And I got to see, um, because Come From Away started at the um, Canadian Music Theatre Project at Sheridan College. Um, and, and so the students were doing it. And I got to go and see it. I went to support David and Irene and saw this beautiful piece, uh, which has changed a lot since. But still, the amazing thing is that... Um, that uh, 
the heart and the soul of it has stayed the same. The skeleton of it has stayed the same. The meat on the bones has just moved around a lot. Um, you know, there's been cuts and changes and additions and some really beautiful ones. But even when I just first saw that show, I thought, wow, this is this is incredible. I really hope that I could be part of this someday. And then flash forward, here I am. Astrid, let's talk about Come From Away. And I when you first... <laughs> <laughs> I love my show so much. I'm, I'm, I miss it like I miss oxygen. It's really, yeah. When, what would when, you like to know? <laughs> when did you first hear about this musical? And can you tell people what it is about for maybe the three people who don't know what the backstory is or what the story of Come From Away is, the plot? Absolutely. Well, come from away is a is a Newfoundland expression, and people use it to refer to anybody who's not from the rock, from Newfoundland, uh, born and bred. They are called come from away. So on September 11th, uh, during that tragedy, they had to clear the airspace and 38 planes landed in this small town of Gander, which had the largest airport uh, for the longest time and still is one of the largest airports in the world. And so it could handle all these huge um, passenger jets. So those 38 planes, 38 planes landed in Gander. So su- suddenly 7,000 people in a town of 9,000. And what are you going to do? Well, the people of Gander and Lewisport and, you know, Norris Arm, all these people around, they took these people in. And not only did they see to their um, needs of nutrition and a shower and and a place to sleep, they actually um, entertained them, took their minds off their worries. Um, Claude Elliott always says, and that's the mayor of Gander, that, you know, uh, 7,000 strangers landed. Then it was 7,000 friends while they were there. And when they left, they said goodbye to 7,000 family. So that's sort of the the short version of of what what the piece is about. It's so extraordinary how this community sprang into action for strangers and how they were embraced like family. It's the most extraordinary story, and it's all in the telling, and the music is so special. So can you bring me to when you learned about this musical and what went through your mind? Well, I... I, um... I knew David and Irene um, because I'd been in their first musical, My Mother's Lesbian Jewish Wiccan Wedding. And um, I got to see the students of Sheridan. It was actually commissioned by the uh, Canadian Music Theatre Project um, through Michael Rubinoff at the Sheridan School. And uh, David and Irene took on this incredible challenge and made something extraordinary out of it. And I got to see the students perform it. And when I saw it, I thought, wow, what a beautiful piece. And it really hasn't changed a lot. The... um, the heart of it is the same. The skeleton is the same. But, I mean, a lot of little pieces have changed here and there and different focus and some songs added and things were cut and moved around. And I got to be a part of that, which was exciting. As soon as we started in La Jolla, you know, and then we went to Seattle and Washington, D.C. And uh, during that time, there were lots of changes. Um, you know, the creative team came with questions and David and Irene responded with this amazing work. And Ian Eisendrath, our, you know, our, our musical director and vocal and all the people who were involved really created this incredible piece. But when I first saw it, it was these students and it was they were just so incredible. And I thought, I hope I get to be a part of this. I joked with them, actually. There was an intermission. There used to be an intermission in the piece. And at intermission, I, I went up to David and Irene and I said, well, when this gets to Broadway, I like to play Diane. So I didn't get all of it right, but I, it did end up getting to Broadway. So I'm quite <laughs> proud of being a bit of a prophet in that respect. I love that. And 
Can you talk about when you got the call or you got word that you were going to go to Broadway with this show? No, yes, Broadway happened. You know, it's funny how how you can you can blur moments in your mind. I don't know when that moment was exactly that we all knew. Um, it was sometime after Seattle. Um, I think when we got to Washington, we already knew that we were going to Broadway. But I think a lot of us felt in our bones that we might be going there, even after the first few shows in La Jolla, just because the response of the audience has always been the same. This incredible tsunami of love, this this standing ovation that just happens um, because people just want to let us know that they've appreciated hearing the story about goodness, about people being kind to each other, that this is possible. And I think they take that away with them after every show. It's it's an incredible thing to be a part of. It's really special. Or can you talk about when you were cast? Oh, yes. Oh, uh, when I was cast. Well, this is the fun thing. Um, I, I sent in an audition and then I got uh, an invitation to come to New York and have a callback for the creative team. And I went early and I listened to all the Olympic singers ahead of me and I thought, I don't have a chance. I don't know. I mean, I have a great voice. I mean, a great voice. I have a good voice. I feel confident about voice. it. Thanks, honey. But I, but I just <laughs> thought, well, I'm hearing these Olympic singers. And, I, and then I tried to go in and, and do that. And I always tell people I, I coach or, or when I'm te- doing any teaching, teaching, I always say, be yourself, bring yourself into the room. But I was wanted it so much that I thought, oh, I have to be this New York Olympic singer. And I forgot my storyteller. And I just kind of tried to sing, you know, this is how I remember it anyways, just over sing. And um, they were kind and they let me sing something else that I had brought with me. And I sort of calmed down and I thought, okay, this is where I live. I got to do some scenes and I got some direction and there was some laughter in the room and that felt good too. And I left feeling like, okay, I might not have booked that, but I at least booked the room, which is what I tell um, people I coach or my students. If you can leave the room feeling like they know I could play that part or they would like to work with me, then that's a good feeling. And I felt that when I left. And then I found out that they offered it to someone else. So Gerald, I wasn't the first choice for Beulah. Someone else was. And that beautiful human person out there um, turned it down. And uh, I was second choice, but I I feel like it was meant to be. And uh, I feel like, um, you know, I fit Beulah and Beulah fit me. And I think even, you know, as the creators were working on things, I think this is with all of the people who came to it, um, whether it was Gino or Jen or Petrina, that a lot of our voices and and how we worked really influenced sort of how the piece progressed from from La Jolla up to Broadway. What was the song you sang in the audition? Uh, I sang some of Heave, Heave Away, some of the Heave Away song. Oh, yeah, the and, one that you said you picked to oh, sing. Oh, the one that I I sang something from uh, Belle Sur. Um, oh. which is a musical that I, I did in Montreal and Ottawa, which was yeah. a fantastic piece with 12 women, 12 women voices that I think is still being developed somewhere. I don't know what's going to happen with it, especially with this pause. I mean, that is the thing that is hard for producers and creators and uh, yeah. that right now is to figure out how to move their projects forward if they don't already have. I mean, we are so blessed to have a huge fan base and a huge need and desire from people to to see this story again and again or to see it for the first time because they've heard about it so that's a a very privileged position that we are in as a as a company that's true and i love that you play so it's a compilation of two women right uh there's two women plus i always like to say two women plus because it's beulah cooper 
who okay. uh, ran the Legion at the time and was making lots of sandwiches for everybody. And she also still to this day has a beautiful friendship with Hannah O'Rourke, who lost her her son, Kevin. And we've all since become very good friends with Hannah as well. She's been to see the show a few times and she is a firecracker. She is a a, um, a sprightly, uh, thick Irish accent, petite dynamo, very funny, full of so much love and also full of so much... Um, so many memories of Kevin and always loves to come to see the show and bring people. That's um, another character. Sorry, that, that's another character and come from away. Yes, right. Hannah, right. by, right. by Q, right. Q Smith uh, and yeah. re- recently by Kenita Miller for a while. Well, Q was away having her beautiful son, Caleb. Mm. Um, but yes, so the, there's there's uh, Beulah Cooper. And then the other part of my character uh, is the the teacher element. So that's Diane Davis who um, barely slept during that time and was helping organize things at the Gander Academy and also um, sort of rolled into that as well, into the Diane side of the teacher side of things are the other teachers who I got to uh, to meet not too, too long ago when I went to, um, you did a story on it, when I went with uh, my good friend Lisa Horner back to Newfoundland. So we got to have a breakfast with some of the teachers. So we kind of feel um, that we have those those women with us as well when we're telling that that aspect of the story. How did this experience change you? I think uh-huh. it, it it's taken the edges off of off of all of us, really. I think most of us were good-hearted, kind people to begin with, but I think after seeing the example of the people from Newfoundland, and you know, seeing seeing them and representing them and wanting to honor them, I think that can't help but kind of invade is the wrong word i'm trying to figure out the right word pervade be Mm -hmm. soaked into who you are you want to be of service and you want to not just be kind when it's thrust upon you but actually seek out opportunities to to be a better person with people that you that you interact with i mean right now we have a great example where we can you know we can we're coming together by staying apart you know we're we're looking out for the more vulnerable people in our community. And sometimes we don't even know who the vulnerable are because lots of people get sick who are in their thirties and forties and, and our healthcare workers who are taking care of us. So we're all kind of looking out to, um, to be, to be better people at this time, which is kind of, you know, what the whole come from away ethos is about. It's about looking out for not just yourself, like looking past your own, your own household and, and thinking about the greater good. Yes, and I think about how you perform the show in Newfoundland. Did oh, what was that experience like of going there? It was absolutely fantastic. It was like it was like being a rock star, honestly, Gerald. It was like being a rock star. We we were we were brought to Gander. People were, you know, right away. There was a party for us at the hotel, and. Um, when we did the concert in the in the world's largest walk-in refrigerator, when we did this concert at the at the hockey arena, um, we had about twenty five hundred people at each concert. We did two concerts, and they were just uh, the people were so happy to see this story and to see themselves well represented and and correctly represented. And um, it really was. We all thought, you know, we're professionals. We'll keep it together. But we were all in tears. We were all like just snotty sobbing soggy messes by the end of it you know what i love also about come from away is that there's no you pyrotechnics there uh there's no giant special effects and i mean it's the cast of how many is it 
with there's 12 of us. There's six, six men and six women, which is also so, wonderful that there's, you know, half and half. So, yes. And here's this intimate cast and how you transform. Suddenly you're on a plane and I believe it. And then you're, you're in a, a pub dancing and, and you all, you meander through these different worlds with a minimum of props and set pieces and it's so convincing and it just is a visceral experience it's storytelling i mean it goes back to what i was speaking about right at the top of the podcast is about wanting to be a storyteller and i and i've always said to people too you know if i'm telling you a story and i need to be a rabbit and i stop hop and i start hopping around on stage but you need me to be that rabbit in the story for it to work. You provide that with your imagination. And I think the magic of Come From Away is we suggest things. We change our posture a bit, our accents. We have different relationships with other characters on stage. There might be a chair in a different spot and a table and the lights, beautiful, beautiful lights, uh, switch around. But really not a lot is changing. We're still just that same person, but we're telling you we're someone else. And in a second, you come with us. And that, to me, is the magic of theater. And that's why Come From Away is so special. That's our special effect. It's the imagination of the audience, I think. That's, yeah, that, that's what makes it work. Yeah, that and the all, music. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the music is so... Mm. I mean, it's just that kind of folklore-ish kind of... I mean, that... And it's a... It's We're really with you as the audience. You know, we're on this journey with you. It is. It really is amazing what they've done with the music because you have this this Celtic infused um, Newfoundland sound, but then you also have a bit of world music. Then you have almost you know real sort of solid musical theater classics kind of you know things happening. It's it's re- and it mixes all together so beautifully. So it all feels of one piece, and yet you can be you can have a suggestion of of a different culture with with a different instrumentation and some different sounds and then you have you know the the rocking rollicking pub sounds of of you know a heave away mm-hmm. call and response song and then you have romantic stop the world song and you've then you've got a you know what i call like sort of that narrative opens you know you get to find out mm-hmm. more about a character when when Beverly Bass sings that you know when that song is sung by the Beverly Bass character about who she who she is, how she became who she is, and how things have changed because of this this experience. Yeah, there's so many pieces to it. And I love it that it kind of started scrappy and now, you know, it was all the Tonys later, you know, that it started you were saying by students, right? Well, and I think, I mean, David and Irene would, would will say and often say, you know, they were thinking, oh, well, they're going to create this piece and it will be forced to be done in Canadian high schools from coast to coast because there'll be lots of characters in it. And, and it's something that, you know, that they'll have to do in high schools. So to, to kind of see it transform this way with, you know, those incredible tunes and melodies and lyrics and, and jokes and stories and, everything that they brought from their friends that, well, they're friends now from Newfoundland and have, you know, created this incredible narrative that people just want to see. It's, it is great. And and you know, what's great. It doesn't really lose its humble beginnings. I mean, that's still Mm -hmm. in there in the simple storytelling of it. Although it doesn't feel so simple when you're trying to remember where to put all the chairs, let me tell you. (laughs) But but it has a kind of uh, simplicity, a very much, of storytelling of and let me tell you what happened and then this happened and here let's see what what's happening now it's it's the way storytelling started 
yeah. in that sense, of like, let me tell you what happened. And then here it is. You know, the fourth wall's down a lot. We're, we're often talking directly to the audience, which is what keeps it fresh for me. Because yeah. I mean, to have done this show as long as I've been doing it, part of it is because I get to talk directly to the audience. So I have new scene partners every night. So that just, you know, yeah. keeps it keeps it fresh. And really, audiences don't really know or, or realize, or maybe they do. I hope they do. I mean, I'm, I'm an audience member. I'm a, you know, when I'm not at the theater performing, I want to be in the theater watching a, a great story. Um, but they have so much influence on how the, the story goes. And the way they listen is always different. And it's their need to hear the story that draws it out of us. I mean, there's nothing like when we have to go back to a, a brush-up rehearsal and we're telling jokes or we're telling stories and there's no audience out there. Oh, my goodness. The, the way it feels, it just, we really you feel like you're missing, you know, missing your head. It just, it just doesn't flow the same way without that audience needing to get that information from you. I think that's why it's so joyful seeing it again and again, because it's a whole new experience. And talk about storytelling. You, in the midst of all this, co-wrote, co-produced, and star in an indie feature film, The River You Step In. Yes, I'm very, very proud of that. It's, um, it, we did it between, I think it was between Seattle and Washington in June, um, and we're still we have a distributor, but we're still uh, looking for, for um, you know, a, um, a broadcaster to pick it up. And we're still hoping to get it into some festivals. But we have we had a beautiful screening in New York uh, and it was really a, the response was positive. We did one here in Toronto. We did a couple screenings just up the street. There was a, a cinema. So it was um, it was a fantastic uh a fantastic experience. And we're, we're hoping to maybe from the characters of the film develop a, a TV series as well. So it's been a, it's a, been a great source of, of uh, creativity, especially during this time. And my housemate is actually one of the, is the director and co-writer, co-creator, one of the producers of the piece. So we get to sort of, you know, have a cup of coffee and sit down and talk about what could be possible for the future of, of the film and for the future of the characters that we've developed and maybe putting it into um, a series. So that's been fun. That's great. You play a social worker. You want to talk about what, what it's about, what inspired this yes, particular um, story? There's a, there's a couple of things that inspired it. Um, one of them was some different articles that we had read about social workers. And um, John was also interested in, in domestic abuse um, and, and how that kind of, you know, those stories, how people get, into those situations and we also frankly wanted to do a story um where i could play a character that you would want to be engaged with and um john says you know astrid you're a loving person and that comes across on screen so what if what if we had somebody who like doesn't know the boundaries between professional life and personal life um and who really wants to um you know, help people. So that's kind of where it started. And it's really about somebody who can't leave her work at work, who has to, um, you know, just help whoever she meets, which is a positive thing. But then you have empathy, burnout, you have, you know, do you make all the best decisions if the, you're always putting everybody ahead of yourself? So it's, it's a fun, it's a fun thing to, to explore this, this character, Stevie, and uh, all the people that she meets in, in the film and hopefully in the series. We'll see. <laughs> Do you know people like Stevie? I, I do. I definitely do. Um, and they're incredible people. They're kind of the people who 
are unseen and unsung heroes sometimes. There are the people who choose to be nurses and social workers and work with the homeless and and um, manage group homes and who just can't pass by injustice without becoming engaged and wanting to make a change. And um, I'm proud to play someone like that. And I hope that in my in my own life that sometimes I approach, at least approach being being that. Uh, I, I love all this kindness that you surround yourself with and different and generosity that you're surrounded by. What was that experience like? You're here, you're on Broadway and you know, you have a dresser and um, people there to do things for you. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, that people are polishing your shoes, but you know, there, there's a lot of different people making the machinery work. Whereas when you're co-producing, co-writing, starring in an indie film, you know, the buck stops with you. So what? Well, that's, what was- that's, that's very true. I think what you learn very quickly, uh, if you're doing any indie film, and I'm sure any indie filmmakers out there will, will say this too, you have to surround yourself with great people. And we did. And the actors were all, I think there was maybe one or two people who I didn't know. Everybody else was a friend. So that trust, that level of trust was there. And so I was surrounded and uh, John and I were both surrounded by some incredible, incredible people. And they all want to make great, great, great work. So um, there's that drive as well. But you also learn very quickly that nobody cares about your project as much as you do. And you have to, you have to set your ego aside completely and just serve the piece. Just make it happen. And some days it means you're making sandwiches and finding apple boxes and getting somebody to come in and film for the sound person who couldn't or wouldn't show up. Or you're doing your own costume because there is a conflict with the other wardrobe person who had to go work on another set. So you're trying to do continuity and then you're also doing some rewrites and learning new lines and then realizing you have to step into a scene and you're trying to remember which point of the story is this. And, you know, it just gets, a, it, it can be maddening, but it, it's also mm-hmm. some of the most fun I've ever had. And I don't know if I ever want to do it again. <laughs> like all, of, all of those wearing all of those hats at the same time. It, it, it's, it sits heavy on the head for sure. I understand. Is, is there a way you're staying sane or creatively nourished during this time? Absolutely. Well, things like this are great. It's nice to oh. connect with people and to talk about creative things and things that you love and theater, which is just my heart and storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, other things I'm doing, I'm really working on a lot of friendship maintenance, you know, Zoom calls with friends and and making sure that they're they're okay. And also in, in return, they're doing the, the same for me. Um, we're, we're working on, like I said, this pitch this pitch for this series. Um, there's another uh, sort of, I won't get into it too much, but there's um, a musical I did a long, long time ago and we're looking at doing a sequel to it. So it's something um, that I wrote music for and I haven't really written music or songs for a long time. So that's a little scary and I'm dipping my toe into mm-hmm. that. So that's another way of staying creative and just some days, you know, creativity is, is, poaching that egg perfectly and getting it on your toast and and putting your feet up and breathing deep and being grateful and just being okay with doing nothing for the day. I think people really have to give themselves permission. Nobody has to go away. And some people, I think if they have that big important play in them, they're going to write it anyways. I don't, I don't know if being under quarantine is, 
is creating more creativity. I think if people <laughs> feel it, they should move with it. They should go with it. But I think people also have to let themselves off the hook and you can't compare yourself with, I mean, there's so many times we compare ourselves as artists mm-hmm. and if all we need or all we can do is get through the day, I say you got through the day. Good for you. That's brilliant. Yeah, I've heard that too. It's interesting. At first, somebody told me, oh, Shakespeare wrote King Lear during the Black Plague. And then I thought, oh, I have to write my King Lear. <laughs> and then told me, he sent me this wonderful article. Like you were just saying, is your job right now is to get through. You don't, don't, you don't have to open up a real estate concern in your pajamas. You don't have to. And and there's so many incredible people. I mean, one of the things I'm really proud of the Broadway community is is um, so many of our crafts people have stepped up and and made um, you know PPE for for healthcare workers. And yeah. there's there's um, like our, our beautiful Melissa from from uh, Come From Way, you know, making masks and gowns and caps. And I can't sew. I've written some letters to some people. That's about about it i'm trying to bring joy and tell stories and take care of the friends that i know but i, I can't sew and i can't drive so i feel a little bit useless so i'm hoping you know i can i can keep the flame of come from away alive in people's hearts uh, i hope that i can you know uh, i've been writing some letters like i said to people have you know asked me to write a letter to um, you know a friend or a niece or a son or a grandmother and so you know that's a way of getting my head out of my own butt as well it's actually very selfish it seems unselfish but a lot of times we, when we do good things it makes us feel so good that it really it's just as much for us as it is for the person that we're that we're helping agreed and finally is there a role that you're just aching to play that you're have to tackle uh, or is it yet to be written well, it's both of those things, Daryl. I'm glad you said that because I love doing new work. Um, before Come From Away, uh, which, you know, originating Beulah, although, I mean, Beulah was in the works already and the students did a lot of great work on her and that helped shape it. I don't want to not acknowledge that. But um, doing, you know, Germaine Lauzon, or, or my friend wrote a, a comedy called Myth of the Ostrich and I got to play this very funny character in the night. I love doing something new and something different. But of the classics... Um, sort of those big roles out there. Yeah, I'd love to play Mama Rose. I'd love to play Mother mm-hmm. Courage. Um, you know, I'd love to, you know, this this character that we're working on from this musical from before, I'd love to step back into her shoes. She's this big, you know, rock and roll, Janis Joplin, butch, scary, you know, ready to pick a fight all the time kind of character not very like me because I'm always backing away from a fight so I think that's what I'm intrigued by her um but yeah just I think it's, it hasn't been written yet and also some of the classics yeah I definitely would love to to do them as well ah like to see them all well Astrid you've been so wonderful it's always delightful to talk to you I love talking to you too, Gerald. I think you're you're really lovely, and I look forward to the next time we can bump into each other at Sardi's and have a sidecar and a, and and catch up on our lives. And hopefully that won't be too too long in the future. Oh, I hope so. I hope so. Till then, have till then, and everybody stay safe and stay home if you can. Yeah, and it, have have a beautiful time in Toronto. It's one of my favorite cities. I love Toronto. I love it too. There's a lot of great, great, great people here. And uh, it's nice to, even though I, I can't really, you know, go out and 
catch coffee with them or grab a cocktail. Um, you know, a few a few people who don't live too far away, we've had a couple sidewalk visits sort of, you know, from a distance and even just getting to see them in, in real t- real time, not through a, like the, you know, the black mirror of our phones. But, you know, it's it's um, it's nice to be it's nice to be home for a bit, although New York feels like home, too. And I miss my apartment there and I miss my life there very, very much. And my friends there and my cast. I miss my cast so much uh-huh. and, and the crew and the theater and the stage management and everything about it even the crowds even the crowds even the crowds and having to step around the people staring into their phones I hear the you. new york misses you <laughs> i hope that's true yeah i'm sure that's sure. so dramatic we'll take good care i'm sure we'll talk soon yes. thanks again for having me every day when lightning strikes the moment you know the theme song was written by Tom McGovern. This episode was edited by Kyle Moore, and the talent was booked by Anna Strauss. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.